I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of The Washington Post. I'm Terry Teachout, drama critic of The Wall Street Journal. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli, and I write for The New York Times, The New Yorker, and Newsday. And this is episode 21. Yay! <laughs> I think the needle just went into the red. <laughs> Improbable, uh, but true. <laughs> of Three on the Isle, a twice-monthly podcast from New York about theater in America. And we're hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group. And, oh my God, 21, uh, hello <laughs> theater fans from across America and the world because, okay, guys, I've been getting mail from Australia. We have at least <laughs> one, one that I know of listener in Australia. So I am, so shout out to the uh, listener in Melbourne. Wow. Um, I, I mean, I, that totally, blew, I, I love this. Um, Gre- greetings anyway. to Australia. Yes, greetings. Good day, mate. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So, all right. That's a reason I'm not an actor. Thank you. <laughs> I, I am speechless. Our next, our next episode I'm will be accident mood. coached. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm punch drunk from theater. Oh. <laughs> um, where was I? Well, you were talking oh, yeah, about Australia. Australia. Yeah, we're Australia. Uh, so, okay. So, today we're going to have a, a bit of fun. And we're going to ask each other some deep, incredibly personal Probing questions. The questions like all our listeners have been dying to get the answers Absolutely, to. Absolutely. Like right. just after that, there's, there's yeah. just no turning back. Yeah. That's right. And of course, and as usual, we'll conclude with our own picks and pans among the shows that we've recently seen. But first, we are going to warm up the old answer machine with a question uh, that has come through the Three on the Aisle hotline. Kirby? Hey guys, this is Anthony from Omaha, Nebraska. This may be a dumb question with a very obvious answer, but when watching theater with a critical eye, do you take into account that you're watching community theater or a regional production or a Broadway show? Obviously, community theater production of the Drowsy Chaperone featuring Jane and John Doe won't match Sutton Foster and Danny Burstein on Broadway, but all the reviews I read of numerous shows going on at any given time in Omaha are nothing but praise. And believe me, I've seen some real stinkers here. So is that fair, or should we constantly be praising community theater performances, good, bad, or otherwise? Anyways, love the show. Love you three. Thanks. Talk to you later. There's nothing even slightly dumb about that question. I no, it's a good question. Question. Yeah. And but, I but grapple with it. Go on. Well, I was going to ask both of you, uh, the the gist of his question is, you know, he's reading reviews out in Omaha of community theater productions uh, that are nothing but slobbering uh, encomiums on these on these actors. And is that really reviewing? He's is, is the essence of his question. And is it, you know, can you bring that kind of critical judgment to the amateur level of theater anyway? And do people make those distinctions in their minds? Right. Well, I mean, po- possibly my experience as somebody who travels and covers regional theater is closer to the mark of, of what he's talking about. Because whenever I go out of town and review a company that's not as well-funded as, say, the Goodman Theater in Chicago, just to pull a name out of my hat, uh, I am asking myself, what are the appropriate standards for judging this company and its activities. I don't review community theater. Uh, uh, that's one of the lines that we draw. But I do review productions that take place in storefronts, in very small companies, uh, underfunded companies, and I'm I'm writing about them for a national publication. 
And so I always ask myself, what is the appropriate standard to apply for a show like this? In my experience, uh, you find good acting, really good acting, everywhere. I've been struck by that over the last 10 years as I've been reviewing reviewing regional theater, is the singularly high quality of acting that I see in every major city and several not-so-major cities in the country. I don't have to make any allowances for that at all. Um, You do have to allow for the space in which the performance is being given. You have to allow for the the scenic possibilities of a very low-budget production. Uh, Is the fact that it is a low-budget production an obstacle, or is it being used as a starting point, a way of of demanding more imagination uh, from the production? Um, I would never hit anybody for not doing the very for anything other than not doing the best they can with the materials that they have. And I don't expect to see uh, Broadway-type sets when I go out to uh, uh, Montana or someplace like that. Uh, what critics in those communities should do is a different matter. It's a trickier matter. Um, you do want to be, I think, supportive of the theater community that you are covering. You don't want to to just take advantage of the fact that you're able to write about these shows and and be nasty about things that don't deserve that kind of nastiness. It doesn't right. serve the purpose. Right, but right, right. at the same time, you don't want to be... Uh, somebody who likes everything. If you like everything, there's probably something wrong with your yardstick. Um, uh, Elizabeth, what's your take on that? Do you, do you bring a different... I, I suspect you bring the same uh, intensity to <laughs> off-off-Broadway that you bring and to uh, the Roundabout I'm Theater gonna, Company. I'm going to quote, and I believe in maybe Ted Nugent, or is it Nugent? No, it's oh, Nugent, but Nugent, Nugent is charm or Nugent. charming. Um, Intensity intensities. <laughs> Wasn't it him who did that album? Um, I, I, you know what? Like, uh, it's funny because I was thinking about that because I, uh, we went to uh, a friend's that their kid was in a production of Crazy for You, a middle school production of Crazy for You, uh, last year, a couple of years ago, and I had a great time. I mean, it was not. It really was what it was, you know, like twelve-year-olds doing Crazy for You, but. Gosh darn it. They did the whole thing. They did all the songs. Um, and I had a wonderful time. I mean, am I going to tell people, yeah, this is like a great... No, it's not. But I think you... I mean, I always great or think about it in context. Mm-hmm. I uh, think context what is, is a good word. But actually, to go back to something that the listener said, uh, I think there is distinctly uh, a pressure... Maybe more in the re- in, in 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 the region. I mean, outside of Chicago, LA, or here in New York, to to be a booster right. for the local sure, scene, exactly. and that's a different thing because you're really meant to to encourage and you know, grade A for effort, right? <laughs> and and I think that is a very very true phenomenon. Uh, so it's it's tricky. It's really tricky. Well, it's this, it's akin. I mean, community theater reviewing, which I don't do either. We don't do, and it's and, and for it's anathema to some degree for professional critics to be asked to review amateur productions. But it's akin to high school productions where sometimes you know teachers will assign kids to review the shows, but they say, but you can't say anything negative about your your uh, fellow right. students. So in that regard, you know, it's ha- these are half reviews, and they should be treated as such. It's a different. It's just a different 
different animal. It's, it's not what we do. It's not what we do. And you can't take pride, particularly if you're just praising. I mean, it, you yeah. know, everyone knows right. that from teachers to parents know that, you know, you just can't hand, ladle out laurels and, and expect uh, anyone to have any credibility. Uh, as you know, result. I'm not sure that parents know that now because that's true. You also, know, you're there right. is this whole Good like, parents uh, do. you know, just uh, getting prizes for every participation. Trophies. And right. then when you're getting when every production everywhere is getting a, a, a rave well it, it's really warping the expectations of everybody involved the people who are doing it you know they i would say they want to be challenged a bit maybe not <laughs> so so the general answer to the question i think one we can all agree is we try as much as we can to bring the same set of values to everything we see but we also adjust for an understanding of the time and place and the level at which a, 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 a production is meeting its audience. I mean, I think those are all things that sort of are qualifiers for us. Uh, but context is everything. Right. Elizabeth mentioned something a moment ago that I'd like to speak to, going to that crazy for you that you saw. I think it's really useful for critics like us to occasionally go and see shows like that. Not that we're going to mm-hmm. write about them. But uh, uh, Mrs. T and I sometimes will go see shows near where we live in Connecticut or, or up and down in Florida when we're down there just for fun, not expecting anything out of mm-hmm. it. Just it, it, for me, I mean, it's fun because every time you see a show, you learn something from it. But I also find that it helps me to recalibrate my standards. It reminds me of just how exciting amateur performances can be when they get the bit between their teeth. Uh, it mm-hmm. reminds me, in a way, of what we're all doing this for. And uh, uh, it's it's just a good thing to do every once in a while as kind of a check on your attitude. Um, I, I The last time I did that, it was a couple of summers ago, I, I went to see a community theater production of The Importance of Being Artist, uh, a rather tricky play to do. Uh, was it a masterpiece that should have been taken to Off-Broadway? No. But I got enormous pleasure out of it. And the mm. fact that I did in the middle of a community audience was a really meaningful experience to me, something that, in a way, reminded me of why I and we do this. It was good for me, and I and mm. I enjoyed it, too. Mm. 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 Yeah, no, I, I I hear you. I hear you. And you ha- and we'll, let's just uh, uh, end this discussion by saying that the twelfth night in Central Park this summer, which was really a, an amalgam of community theater and professional theater. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm getting a dirty look from uh, my my uh, colleague <laughs> oh, here, Ms. Vincentelli, I I, which I loved, and it sounds like Terry had a good time. Yeah, I did, and too. actually uh, has done very well in England as well, by the way, in London. Um, but is an interesting uh, 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 exploration of how of what Terry is saying uh, at this moment. I agree with them anyway all right so that was a nice warm-up we're getting limbered up um in the midst of a crazy theater season uh and maybe to further loosen up i think we should throw some questions at one another uh the kind of things that um are the little brain uh pickers <laughs> that sometimes people out there ask you uh at, uh in in social gatherings or or at the theater but I have always had these questions sort of rolling in my brain uh, that I wanted to ask the two of you. So I'm going to start this little game that we're going to play. We're e- we've each come up with some questions that we wanted to ask each other, one another. So, so my first question is one to do with a, a playwright we review all the time, and that is Shakespeare. Uh, we're seeing, you know, we, we constantly see Shakespeare uh, in every manifestation, in every kind of production. And my question 
uh, is which play of Shakespeare that's generally regarded to be uh, a fine one, one of the really good ones, would you be happy never to have to see again? Is there a play of his? Because I'll tell you which one of my I was you know one comes in, to mind in, uh, immediately for me that I would I would pay to never have to go back to and that well, it, is it, the dealer's t- choice. You go first. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I was going to say, and I maybe it'll be a little surprised. I, I would say I, I never want to see the Tempest again. Really? Uh, I, I, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I have a harbored a secret. I won't say loathing, but it. A, a, a feeling like why is this play revered i i understand you know historically why it's important and it betokens you know the end of shakespeare's career and blah 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 but i just find it deadly in almost really? every fo- yes I, I find it deadly you know i was thinking that and then i saw the version with harriet walter at uh-huh. st Anne's warehouse and i, I was like okay <gasps> oh my god okay <clears throat> Uh, All right, but so I so I I assume the two of you are appalled by my choice. No, no, I I I, I, surprised. I would say I I, I would have been with it until I saw that production. Okay, that kind of. I mean, The Tempest is one of my inexhaustible plays. So I mean, I'm I'm really surprised, but not appalled. Uh, I mean, we all have. Things that we just oh, ran out of juice on. I don't know, you know, free Ariel and free. Ca- I, I, you know, I just, you know, you're free, yay! I don't know. It just has never really, um, it has never really gotten to me. But uh, Terry, is there a? Is I know you're reluctant to single out for any kind of negative con- uh, uh, judgment any play of Shakespeare's. I assume, but what it, it one would, would you be glad not to have to see on the schedule of the public theater in the park? Yeah, you know, I mean, I knew you were going to ask this, and and I would be, in a way, tempted to say Romeo and Juliet, just because I've seen it so many times. And sometimes I'll be sitting there before the lights go down, and I'll wonder, am I going to have anything new to say about it? But Mm -hmm. the fact is that the production I'm seeing always ends up solving that problem for me. Every new interpretation primes my pump. And really, for me, all of the major plays, the comedies and tragedies alike, they just seem to me to be inexhaustible. It happens that I'm in the middle of writing an essay about King Lear. I ran the numbers, and I reviewed it more than any other Shakespeare play uh, in the journal. 14 staged productions in my 15 years at the theater. Oh, my God. That is a lot of Lear's. That's a lot of... That's a lot of writing about Lear. Yeah, and it doesn't even count the film and TV versions. And Lear is a play that can just wear you out with its sheer intensity. I mean, we have a family joke. Whenever Mrs. T and I are getting ready to go to the theater, and we wish we weren't because we're too tired or preoccupied or whatever, one of us always says to the other, well, thank God it's not Lear. Uh, and when it, yet when it is Lear, no sooner do the lights go down than I'm completely there, completely present completely ready so I, I it's a great question but it's it strikes no resounding echo in me I do not feel this way about any of the major Shakespeare's Elizabeth I I, I know I, you have one no I you know um, I would have said Romeo and Juliet as well um, I really have no interest in seeing 
that play ever again. <laughs> but the ones I really don't want to see are the ones that are, I, you said well-regarded. And the ones, I just uh, recently saw a uh, Measure for Measure that was so utterly mediocre. And I had seen another really mediocre one the year before, two years before. And I do not understand. But that play is not regarded as one of the... The top tiers. Uh, one of the top... Well, it's a problem play. You know, it's yeah. it's one of the problem plays. I can't plays. see why ambitious directors want to tackle it because they were like, well, I'm going to solve it. Mm. I can do it. I have not ever seen that play done well. I've seen it maybe five or six times now, which I guess is not I, that much, but I've never seen a good production of it. I, I think part of my problem with The Tempest is I think people really, I think uh, directors really think they've figured it out in a way that, uh, that, annoys me because they it's you know this kind of i I always see this lyrical uh uh, uh, treatment of it that makes it feel very one-dimensional to me it doesn't have much dimensionality and uh i guess maybe my objection is less to the language of the play than the way that you know theater companies routinely uh, use it as a kind of you know uh, you know it's really they turn it over to the design department and then and, you know fill in with the same sort of uh, set of uh, seeming same set of uh, performances. And, and show, there's show. one that there, there's a really famous one that uh, I would say maybe not forever, but I could wait maybe another ten years <laughs> before seeing it. And it's Twelfth Night. I've, mm. I've had it up to here. <laughs> well, I've had it as... up to here with Twelfth Night. The most produced play in the U.S., I think, Is by the way. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Well, you know, yeah. I, you get me thinking about a play that I don't have a problem with, but the way that it's being done is starting to bother me, and that's The Taming of the Shrew. Uh, everybody mm. feels oh. they have to crack this nut now in the light of Me Too and, and changing mores, and they're coming up with solutions to a play that if you do it with any kind of open-hearted alertness to what it has to say doesn't need to be solved i mean if you think you need to solve a shakespeare play just because it doesn't accord with your feelings about how the world should work the failing may be in you rather Hmm. than him and uh i i'm as i say i'm completely open to any approach to a play i'm completely open to conceptual approaches uh I realize that a lot of people are uncomfortable with this play. But I also think that people need to try to come to where Shakespeare is rather than insisting that he come to where they are. Uh, mm. We are the ones We are the ones who need to make the journey when it comes to great masterpieces. Um, yeah, yeah well, they, you know, the interesting thing is it's that theaters over. send a mixed message to their audiences about this. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't... It's, it's very confusing to be a theater goer today and to understand, you know, from production to production whether that is, you know, which, which message is, um, is being imparted. That, you know, we're supposed to go to get to the, the play, supposed to go to, uh, we're supposed to go to the play or the play is supposed to come to us. It feels very, very confusing. And in certain cases, there's this pandering that goes on, I think, where the play, they feel that the, whatever uh, was intended originally has to be re- interpreted for us because we can't digest what it was initially i've yeah, seen I, that in a I, lot yeah, of leers I, I, I think that, that richard Iyer's tv leer does that to some extent uh i mean it's very effective for what it is but the truth is that we don't need a modern dress leer for leer to be relatable um, mm. leer is relatable because of what it is and what it says and who those people are uh, a modern dress leer may shed certain kinds of light on the play but I find the play generates its own light quite sufficiently. 
Well, that all right. So um, uh, we, as as I expected, this would be a complex discussion that would you know not elicit the the seamless answers I wanted from the both the definitive decisions from both of you that I provided. <laughs> Sorry, Peter. Let's, I would say Hamlet. Actually, I can't believe I forgot that. But if I never see Hamlet again, okay. So okay. Uh, we're gonna. I have another question that I'm gonna throw out to the to the uh, to the field here. Uh, so what? Let's switch to the world of musicals. What is your favorite song from a terrible musical? And what is your least favorite song from a great musical? In, in either way, uh, a panel, mm. uh, take, it, take it away. Okay. Who's, who's, who's uh, why don't okay. you go first, Elizabeth, if you have one? Okay. Well, uh, I, mean, we, I, th- I think we all know that a, a lot of fabulous songs from the, the American songbook came from completely terrible musicals. That just happened to have like a couple of fantastic nuggets, and nobody now remembers that they were in musicals originally. <laughs> um, so there's there's tons of them. Like, uh, in fact, Cole Porter was kind of a specialist of that. Like, just yeah, musicals that now yeah. are just even encores won't touch them, uh, and and they have like two or three fantastic songs. But anyway, so for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one <laughs> for a musical that was a total mess that that played Broadway, but. Only in the TV show Smash. <laughs> and my song is from Bombshell. From oh my Bombshell. god! My song is from Bombshell. Okay. My song is History is Made at Night, which I love. History is Made at Night. It's a torchy number. Who sang was, it? It was uh, it was uh, Megan Hilty and Will Chase as a duet. And when they did Bombshell live, like it was one night only, uh, and when they did it live, I. Can you know that I started crying? I just love that song. Oh my goodness! But as we all know, Bombshell is a mess. <laughs> That's all right. That... Could not be salvaged. Um, but and now, like a real—I mean, it's a real song, and I right. think it's one I get of the it. best. It, was, it also actually played on Broadway for one night. Yeah, it did, and it's one of the best that uh, Shaman and, and Whitman have, have ever done. I think it's really, <laughs> really ranks up there. But a real one—I mean, from a real show—I would say I love, I love. Uh, You've got possibilities from "It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman." Uh, which was originally performed by Linda oh, Levin. That's a good one. That's I love a good that song. one. That's a good choice. It's one that I play pretty regularly, actually. It's a great song, yeah. Terry, uh, so yeah. Uh, for you, a, a favorite song from a terrible musical? Well, okay, I'm going to play a very high card here. Um, <laughs> I would not exactly say that Assassins is terrible. Okay. But I have real oh, problems with the show, and I don't right. think it works. I mean, for me, it's too reductive, it's too obvious. It's too really sophomoric in its portrayal of the phenomenon of political assassination. Sondheim but, and John Weidman. Yeah. yeah. But I think that the Ballad of Guiteau is one of Sondheim's most beautiful mm. and powerful songs because mm. it isn't any of those things. Mm. It, it takes a phrase, uh, I am going to the Lordy, that actually comes from a poem mm. that Charles Guiteau, the man who shot President Garfield, wrote on the morning of his execution and sang from the gallus. And it transforms this this strange, naive phrase, into a beautiful and poignant Shana that completely conveys Guiteau's frustration and madness with real empathy. It, to, For me, it jumps out of a show that I think is lacking in that quality elsewhere. Uh, as for the other side of the coin, I don't mind admitting that I have problems with some of the more popular songs by Rodgers and Hammerstein. Uh, in particular, you've got to be carefully taught, which I find head-thumpingly tried and smug. Oh my God! But yes. I have to give the the lead palm. Wait, did to, you say you got to be carefully taught? Yup, 
I sure did. Woo! Yep. But I'd have to give wow. the lead palm to another song from a show that I like much better than South Pacific, which is The King and I. I adore that show, which I think is one of the great masterpieces of musical theater. But I would be unutterably happy never again to have to listen to I Whistle a Happy Tune for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's just too chirpy, even when it's sung with perfect sincerity. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Yeah. Although I, I, I also hate Do Re Mi since we're on that show. Oh, subject. yeah. Well, that's I a mean, terrible one. Well, that's I a terrible right. show, too, actually. All right. I'm going right. to say. All right. I want to get in here. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, the, my favorite song from a bad musical... My favorite song from a bad musical, I think, comes from the show Anyone Can Whistle, which was an early Sondheim song Ooh, written yeah. with Arthur but, Lawrence. But it's a great show. Oh, it's a terrible show. <gasps> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's a really weird... It, 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 the book is just a mess. I mean, there's a reason it's never been done successfully. It's such a fun show. But... Uh, the song that I love is the is the title song um, "Anyone Can yes. Whistle," which is a yes. early indication uh, that disproves the notion that Stephen Sondheim could not write lyrically uh, melodic uh, 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 tunes. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous song, um, and and the sentiment it expresses is um, is timeless. And, um, and there's a reason it's in the um, canon for almost yes. every great cabaret singer. Yes, it tells us. I think it tells us everything about Stephen Sondheim. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And the other side of the coin for me, if anyone follows me on uh, uh, on um, Twitter uh, or even Facebook, knows that. I think one of the really fine musicals of the 20th century was the one that beat West Side Story for the Tony, and that was The Music Man, uh, which I love. Uh, in, in practice, but I loathe with some really sick passion the song Shapoopy. I don't understand, and I think I've, I've basically gone on this podcast for a year hoping to be able to express this feeling, and I could retire after saying it. Now it you just, can die. It, it's just so cathartic to be able to say to the world, I hate Shapoopy. I the title is inane. The song makes absolutely no sense in the context of a, of a very sophisticated show, and uh, there is nothing redeeming about the number. It takes you completely out of the feeling of the rest of the, the piece. And I just wish I could take an axe to the score and chop it out of every compos- every uh, copy uh, on the planet. I'm sorry. I don't apologize. Really. I'm proud of the fact that I'm an anti-Shapoopy. I'm glad, that, I'm glad that we've made this experience I'm dropping possible the mic. for you, Peter. Yes. Yes. I'm yes. dropping He's the going. mic. He's off. Thank He's, you. That's Thank it. you. I feel, gr- I feel so much better. I feel so much better. Uh, thank you, guys. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Gee, oh, where my, do we go from my, there? Yeah, yeah, well, well my, Elizabeth did My, my get, crap, my song yeah. that I cannot stand from a good musical. Right. The musical that I really love, Fiddler on the Roof. But I really do hate If I Were a Rich Man. Really? I know, right? Yeah. Wow. I know. I don't. I cannot stand that song. It's this kind of really annoying little. Duh, duh, duh. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. So we've got, just, we've, we've we've shattered the, the like the sh- the uh the kind of shimmy which uh you've I, got ugh. to be carefully taught and if I were a rich man have gone down the drain in this hour I know that's very very disconcerting and also I think all the song 
all the songs by Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schulz in Cabaret should be taken well, out. Well, those are very all of them. Yeah, those are those all are all of them. That those whole are subplot, oleaginous. I understand the point of the subplot. I know. I don't care for it's it. It's a very sentimental. Take them on all. That's it. They they do a, challenge interpreters. Let's put it that oh way. Oh my god! But do you but 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 you know the people for a reason you know have um. Uh, 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 adopted these songs, all the ones we're talking about, as you yeah. know, to their hearts, you know. And we, I, why is it that they uh, uh, repel us? Is it? Do you think it's repetition? Do you think it is the syrupy notion? Is it the? Is it? Is, is it the message laden inten- uh, intention of a? You've got to be carefully taught that drives you crazy, Terry. Yes, that's the problem with me. Uh, it's whereas, too direct. Yeah, it, it's on the nose, and you know, like a fist in the nose. Right. Whereas for me, the problem with uh, I whistle a happy tune is the tune. Right. Yes, I agree. I agree with you there. I, I, obviously, our answers to this question probably say more about us than they do about the songs. Yes. Oh, right. And obviously, yes. very yes. often, especially with music, something like allergy is at work when we express preferences like this. Um, and I'm thinking, I may have quoted it in some previous episode, but the, the German musicologist Hans Keller said once, when I hate something, I ask myself why I like it. <laughs> and I, I have not found this illuminating in the case of I Whistle a Happy Tune. But I know what he means. I mean, if if a song elicits a strong feeling from you, even if it's a negative feeling, at least the feeling is strong. So, Peter, uh, you may be in for a, quite a little conversion one of these days. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <sighs> All right. Okay. So we're going to continue because we're really on a roll. Okay. What classic musical or play do you find irritably bad? Like, not just overrated, but, but just bad. Wow. Terry? Yeah, wow. Well, <laughs> I, look, this one really hinges on your definition of classic. Or bad. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. Piece. I don't know that I would dismiss any play as horrible, terrible, that is universally or even generally regarded as classic. There are some classics for which I don't care or with which I have problems and some that I've seen and reviewed too often to be able to sustain my interest in them, but that's that's not what you mean. So if, if you don't mind, I'm going to come at this one from a slightly different angle and ask myself, what's the worst play ever written by an indisputably great playwright that still mm. gets done? And for me, that one's easy. Hamlet? It's Tennessee Williams' <laughs> Suddenly Last Summer. Mm, wow. it, 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 oh, no. It's, it's, it's like a, oh to me, God. it's like a Carol Burnett spoof, <gasps> only he meant it. Oh and I sincerely hope that I, I'm, I'm really having a yeah, that I never, ever have to see it or any part of it again. <laughs> so Elizabeth. There's my... If only you all could see Elizabeth has covered her eyes <laughs> oh, with some, my, behind those hands. This is a shock, shock and awe. Eyes and my ears. This oh is, my she, God. She's, um, she's like, I've never seen this happen before on, uh, in, on 21 episodes. Although I will say that it is not technically speaking a good play. Mm. But it's a play that I love and I don't think it's that bad. I think it's a play that is just, I, I just find it completely. But, but then I am a... I love Williams. So, well, uh, what's yours, Elizabeth? I, I think actually I just uh, mentioned it a little earlier. Uh, I really loathe the sound of music, mm. and that's one that if I never see again, I I just hate everything about it—the story, the score, just absolutely everything. I hate that show. I hate what it's about. I hate the way. Just the, I hate the book. I hate every single song. I hate the no. Oh my god! I just. 
uh, actually words fail me. Like I feel like I've lost. <laughs> this show reduces me to you a know, puddle of just bile. A lot of people feel that way, and I didn't like it until I saw it on stage. When I only knew it as a film, I couldn't stand it. And then I saw a, a quite a good regional production at a Gun, a Gunquit Playhouse in Maine. And I thought, okay, now I see why this show works. And it's never going to be one of my favorites. But it went out of the can't-stand-it column immediately because it is a stage show. And the film, the film is overblown, like most Hollywood musicals of that period were. And it, it, it fails to convey, I think. Um, but your feeling is widely shared, Elizabeth. Oh, God. And Very widely shared. Yeah, it is interesting how we each express, you know, this as a very personal uh, kind of revulsion or, uh, you know, distaste. It's it's a very subjective decision. And as yeah. as you say, Terry, it's divorced from the the notion that, you know, that some academic and critical and, and audience sort of consensus has agreed that this is, you know, something that, that merits a, a kind also, of timeless consideration. And also, because I will say without a announce of irony that I actually really like Cats, the musical. Dead air, radio silence. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you, and we feel sorry for you, but, um, but we'll accept it. We'll accept that as an answer. I do answer. have a fondness for early, well, up to early ages. All right, I'm just going to throw a He's real... Gonna- we're, for me, one that has just never worked, and I don't understand it. And I, I'm glad that it's sort of been semi-retired in the in the culture. Because, but it's um, it's by a wonderful playwright, and I just don't think it is really a good play. And that's the skin of our teeth, um, by really? Thornton Wilder. Really? I just have ne- I've I've never been able to get through reading it, uh, watching it. I've seen it um, just done, and I think it might just be that it's just no one knows how to really do it. Um, it hasn't worked when they tried to turn it into a musical. Uh, it it really, uh, and I think it sort of has faded. Unfortunately, with you know Wilder, who I think is one of the great playwrights of the 20th century, he always gets list, left off the short list. But uh, I just, um, I'm just not a fan of it, and uh, I, uh, and I've over time contemplated, you know, it, really its value and why it even is considered a good play by anybody. Well, but fortunately, the, it's not done very often. Well, that's so. it. Um, but that, yeah. Well, I've seen it. Re- I've reviewed it twice: once in New York and once in D.C. And uh, uh, I have always loved it. And the more that I see it, uh, the the more powerfully it speaks to me and the more immediate it seems uh, there is the, truly no accounting for taste. the other one thank you the other one <laughs> the, and the other one like that to me is ionesco's rhinoceros oh my god i was just going to say that's the other one i can't he's i've like, never a, thought any was of good. his although i do like exit the king but other than that yeah. i would be perfectly happy yeah not and to... maybe even rhinoceros as i think about it oh. might even sort of you know qualify as this absurdist stuff has really aged badly yes bad that whole that whole old. genre has and I think that you know I mean uh, the skin of our teeth is sort of you know uh, yeah pre, uh, uh, pre you know sort of premonitory that way yeah it you know? does and yeah it it does not age well no I agree yeah well we don't get to see much UNESCO in the United States uh, I've only reviewed I reviewed two Exit the Kings and uh, a production of the Bald Soprano and that's about it. Uh, which leads me to a, a question that I love to play, and I have a feeling it will, it'll be bait for you guys as well. Mm-hmm. What show have you never seen performed, and would most like to see on stage? Mm. I, I, th- I think you should go first. Yeah, you should go first, Terry. Yeah. 
Well, mine's a coin toss, but both plays are by the same man, Terence Radigan. Uh, not well known in the United States, a purveyor of well-made comedies and dramas who remains enormously popular, more so now than ever, in his native England, but he's always been a hard sell on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, I travel to see Radigan, but two of his plays that I've yet to see on stage are The Deep Blue Sea, which is a domestic drama from 1952. It was last revived on Broadway 20 years ago at the Roundabout. And While the Sun Shines, a wartime farce written in 1943. It had a very brief Broadway run in 44, but it hasn't been staged there, or as far as I know, anywhere else in America since then. Both of those plays were filmed quite effectively, but the screen versions are unknown over here, so that's not what's walking the way. I, the more I think about it, the more I think that the problem with Radigan is that all of his best work engages with two very English themes that just seem to be hard for American actors and directors to understand, mm. which is class differences and emotional inhibition. On the other hand, Joe Orton's plays are finally starting to get staged regionally, mm. so mm. I'm, not give, I'm not giving up hope for Radigan, not yet anyway. But he's he tops my list at this stage. Hmm. Elizabeth? Well, I think for me, um, something that I, I've i never seen, obviously, and I will never see it because it is very much of its time and place. Uh, and it's one of the... It's, it's more of like a, a kind of... It's, it's in the absolute, I guess. Uh, but I would have loved to see uh, the French... This is also where my, my roots are showing. Mm. <laughs> uh, I would have loved to see uh, the French director, Ariane Nouchkine, who's still active. Uh, in 1970 and 1972, she did two epic plays about the French Revolution. She did 1789 and 1793, uh, which were sprawling epics. And the the, the troupe was really young. They were all working together. And apparently, by, by all accounts, it was one of those transformative uh, uh, theater productions that is where there's a complete mix between audience and, 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 and company in a way that has rarely been achieved before or since. And... That is a big regret for me. And another regret, actually, is a performer that I never saw, uh, and it's another French performer, and she was kind of like the French... Mm, um, oh, my God. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm blanking out. I'm totally... The, the big Broadway star, like the clarion... Isabel... Velvet. No, no, from the 50s, the American Charles, one. Charles, no... Um, the a, super uh, famous one who created Gypsy. Who what? The one who created Gypsy. I'm blanking out. Who created Gypsy? Yeah, here in the U.S., I mean, um, Ethel Merman? Yeah, yes. Oh. Okay, right. Okay, let's do that again. <laughs> we got there. Right. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know what you were no, Sorry. I, I was the audience a brain would have, was screaming as we were doing this. I they know. were going, it's Ethel Merman! I had a brain freeze. <laughs> I had a brain freeze. Um, it happens to us yeah. all. So, yeah, some, someone else I would have loved to see, and unfortunately she, she's dead now, but uh, there was a woman named Jacqueline Maillon, and she was the French Ethel Merman. What's her name? Jacqueline Maillon. She was Maillon? the Maillon. She was the queen of the boulevard. Uh-huh. Uh, incredibly popular uh, star uh, who had completely mediocre playwright tailor vehicles for her. And but unlike Merman, she was not doing musical, this being France. But she was pretty much doing a play every year or every other year. Uh, she was renowned for being a shameless scenery chewer and an amazing uh comic dynamo mm. and there, there's some YouTube clips and a lot of those plays actually quite a few were captured for television because I grew up watching them but I've never saw her live mm. but I saw her on TV and 
a, just a force of nature mm. and a kind of character character actor who was a star actually mm. 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 um i absolutely adored her and then my big regret in life is to not have seen her so you're bringing some Gallic sort of understanding. Yes, I've of got this. A, you know it's 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 some of the stuff is like stuff you wish you had seen when you were a kid. I yeah, think. Uh, because yeah. you you were formed at that age, and I really wonder what for me a big formative experience was seeing Ingmar Bergman King Lear when I was 21, mm. and it completely like it really was a life changing experience. But maybe if I had seen like the Queen of Boulevard <laughs> like when yeah. I was 21. Who knows? Yeah, mine um, Mine is uh, by a playwright who's known for one play, and I wish I, I wish someone would revive. I, I, I think it was done in Chicago. I just didn't see it. But it's The Sign in Sidney Brustein's Window by Lorraine Hansberry. Have you ever reviewed it, Terry? I have never reviewed it. That is a very good choice. And wow. I want to see it desperately. I really want to understand. I mean, I, I don't know why we've... We've sort of pigeonholed um, Lorene Hensbury as a one-hit wonder, and she did. She had a more a broader career, and certainly a more significant impact on theater in this country than one play would suggest. And that play, um, uh, I, I read it, you know, in high school, I think, and um, I, I, I think there's a. Uh, 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 maybe this is a moment that you know a theater company in New York or in Washington or Chicago or if, if it's been done in Chicago then elsewhere uh, should consider some kind of Hansberry retrospective that that would be the way to to get into it for me. Isn't there a new biography just out? Is there? Yeah, there is. It was uh, and and Brendan uh, Jacobs Jenkins just reviewed it. In oh the my Times. god! Yeah. yeah, it's a really uh, oh, interesting review. Now that now, that's now that's you've got I, my your, your wish is going to your wish is going to come true. I, Peter. I hope yeah, so. I yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. Well, we could we could obviously do this for hours, but that might test the patience of even our most hardened <laughs> listeners. Right. But here's one for the road. Uh, excluding the original production of The Glass Menagerie, which is pretty much everybody's first call. Right. If you could step into the time machine mm. just once, mm. what production of the past would you most want to see? Mm. Mm. Well, I can start on this one. Um, this is going to sound a little weird, maybe, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> I would. L I have this fantasy of the idea of what it was like to wander into an amphitheater <laughs> and do one, sit through one of those festivals and be in, and encountering yeah. Medea for the first time ever. I mean, the idea of being at the birth of this, you know, what we do. And 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 what? How did audiences react? Did they speak back to the? Did were they in awe? Were they silent? Were they worshipful? Were the actors actors? Were they declaiming? Were they just reciting? I want to know what what this where this all started and how acting began. Um, it's more of a like a sort of a historical archaeological uh, experience for me. But I do except for the fact that my ass would hurt like crazy. I don't want to go through. I don't know what the leg room issues were in. <laughs> You know, 20, 1500 BC, whenever the hell it was. But that said, other than that, I that's that's where I would that's where I would go. And I, it's a great question for that reason because I can I can just only fantasize, imagine what that must have been. Like. Very tempting, Elizabeth. You know, I could I could try to be highfalutin and say oh, I would have loved to be at Shakespeare's Globe. No, I I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, for me, if I if I had seen the original run of West Side Story. I would have been a pretty happy camper. Mm. That's 
Mm. Maybe it's super obvious. I I, I don't know. No. Either that or or again the original cabaret that Bob Fosse. You mean did. to be able to feel like to just see it without any um, varnish? Exactly. Of, exactly. Uh, you see West Side Story and you just like what the gangs on stage? What right. is this crazy music? Yeah. I mean, like yeah. now it's so common, but uh, you know, fifty, sixty years ago, just crazy just to be there. Oh my god. I mean, pretty much mm. actually almost any of those shows that now we take so for granted but at the time were game changers like mm. Marasad yeah. I would have loved to see that mm. yeah. West Side Story yeah I mean yeah, there at least that's a show where there is some TV footage and we can know a bit about what it looked like what I if I, if I were going to go in this direction I'd pick Gypsy uh, for which there isn't any uh, contemporary footage of the original production hmm. and but I've seen a lot of good gypsies. So instead of being greedy, I'm going to go in a totally different direction. Although it's another Broadway show from the late 50s. It's Friedrich Dürrenmatt's The Visit. Mm. Now today, we know that play is the source material for the musical by Cander and Ebb. But in its original form, it's rightly considered to be one of the great classics of post-war European theater. You know, the story of the mm -hmm. fabulously old and rich lady who returns to the town where she grew up and promises to shower riches on the residents if they'll just That's do her one little point. favor, murder the man who jilted her when she was young. Mm. It had already been done in Europe when it came in, to Broadway in 58, but in that production it was directed by Peter Brook and it starred Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontan. It was the last time that either of them ever appeared on stage. Hmm. Oh my god. Yeah, that's American revivals one. are yeah, American revivals are non-existent because of the size of the cast. I only know of one in the past 15 years. And we don't have any film or video document of Lund and Fontan on stage in their prime when they were considered the great stage acting team of of that period. Mm. I love the play. <laughs> on paper and I would give a lot to see how they did it oh, hold on I, ha I have Scott Rudin on the other line and it's <laughs> he's expressed he, a burning he's, desire suddenly to do like <laughs> not only that he's already bought up the rights for the he's, next two years he's bought up the rights he's, he's on the phone to the Schuberts and as, uh, to see if the Broadhurst with, is available with, with not, not with Glenn Close <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Uh, oh God! Well, I think we're, we're going to talk about Glenn Close. Yeah, those are great choices. These are, it's so uh, uh, I love the uh, the variety we've sort of just brought to this uh, to this challenge to the to the question and answer challenge. Uh, Kirby held up a little uh, placard and said that his choice uh, for what to see would be Moose Murders because he loves train wrecks. Um, <laughs> and of course, opening night of Moose Murders must have been oh, probably the place to be was the opening night party. Carry. Carry. A party or or carry, yeah, no, of of the great disasters of of, of modern uh, theater, yeah, any one of those would be. Uh, oh, would oh be a although I was at opening night for Scandalous, and I knew. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yes, oh I saw God. it. I saw it years before uh, when it was uh, oh. called Saving Amy at Signature Theater. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good. Is is that on the CW? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It could have been. You're very funny. Maybe that's maybe Kathy Leo bring it there. Who knows? Okay. Well, anyway. All right. We, we, we're having way too much fun, I think. Uh, oh, let's stop that right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. We have to stop, stop that. So um, we're going to move on to that uh, that time in, uh, the, uh, in th uh, Three on the Isle when we talk about something we've recently seen. Uh, Terry, do you want to start us off? Do the honors? Uh, gladly. Gladly. Um, uh, just a couple of nights ago, uh, I saw the... Broadway premiere, incredible, since it's not a new play, of Kenny Lonergan's The Waverly Gallery. Mm. And I am, I haven't, as we tape this 
broadcast, I have not yet written my review. It will appear by the time uh, this this podcast drops. Ditto, ditto. And I'm still just stunned by by how remarkable it was. I mean, it is a it's a very beautiful play, which I think, if anything, is even more relevant now than it was 20 years ago because. There are a lot more people who have gone through the experience of being caretakers for people with dementia, which is the subject of the play. And um, Elaine May, uh, who has never really had much luck on Broadway, uh, is playing uh, the grandmother, the matriarch of the family, who is losing her memory. And she's not a stage actor, and I'm pretty sure she's mic'd up there. Um, But it doesn't matter. Uh, She's really giving a, a performance that is going to stay in the mind mm. and the whole production, which is directed by Lila Neugebauer, one of our previous guests. Oh, we have and too. Yeah. Bear, I... Right. And bears her trademark, uh, some brilliantly staged group scenes. It couldn't be better. I walked out of the theater just with my, my jaw hanging. Mm. I was so moved. Uh, you know, I, I agree. I think it's a beautiful play. I had some problems with the directorial choices. Sorry, Lila. Uh, I thought that, the, you know, there are moments uh, between scenes and it, there is a problem, I guess, of figuring out how on a big stage, on a Broadway stage, one deals with them. But between scenes, a brick wall comes down <laughs> uh, and and uh, and onto it is flashed uh, s- sort of vintage New York scenes or scenes from, I guess, earlier phases of in the life of uh, Elaine May or the other character, people, actors playing these characters. And I found found it um, distancing and limiting in terms of how much uh, I felt I could get um, involved in this family. I also found the use Lucas Hedges, who's adorable as the as the narrator, the the grandson who lives across the hall from his grandmother, Elaine May. Um, I found the uh, the 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 repetitive motion of him walking to the edge of the stage as if this was a high school play and just reciting to us in a kind of monotone uh, what's happening in the story uh, in between filling us in between. I also found that kind of deadening, and I didn't understand why uh, we were we had this stop start sort of um, approach to to a play that actually is quite fluidly uh, 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 articulated. Otherwise, I would have preferred. A, I would have preferred a different design. Uh, I would have preferred. The, what we have is uh, three extremely naturalistic sets. They're not quick change sets, and that drop has to be brought down in order to move the wagon off mm-hmm. and change the sets. And it is slowing the action of the production down in a way that I, I didn't care for. I would rather have seen it done physically in a different way, but I, I, I didn't find that to be. A disqualifying sure, problem. I it, was agree. Just, it was just something I would have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, no, uh, I, uh, I, I agree with both of you. Actually, the, the 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 scenery changes were a problem for me as well, and I kept wondering why they didn't use a turntable and maybe with a simpler set. I, I I don't know. It felt a little bit too cumbersome. I mean, but... hello, Yerma. I mean, they. This was there is there is technology that can make this stuff feel seamless. Yeah. yeah May, the... I, well, and it. it it's being done in one of Broadway's smallest houses, mm. the Golden, which gives us a lot of True. intimacy. Mm. But it may also be interfering with with the problems presented by this particular design. I just would have moved away from naturalistic design in this show. I don't think it needs it. Mm. But uh, you know, I mean, sometimes that's not a quibble. Yeah, it's, but for me, it's also, as I say, not disqualifying. I was so completely I, caught up in the show itself, 
and in the performances, especially May's performance. I, I, and David Cromer, I think that, he was quite a good actor. You that, know? For me, like, uh, Kenneth Lonergan is now three for three on he's Broadway. He's now three for three. On Broadway. Yes. Uh, I think all three productions have been very different and all very good and have been incredibly excited to see. I mean, he he's there and he completely belongs there. And oh my God, oh, more more power to him. It's incredible. It took him forever to get there. Right. But, right. Um, now I want the Starry Messenger to come back, a play that was not... <laughs> That was not properly understood when it was first produced. Uh, it is a remarkable play. I'm sure it will be. And I'd like to see another shot at that. I'm sure it will be. Um, yeah. All right. So should I go next? Yeah, uh, sure. Yes. All right. So my uh, pick is a show I saw just last night, actually. And actually, it's two plays in one evening. And you have to see them together. It's, you, don't, you can't pick. They're part of a, of a whole. And it's uh, uh, Lewiston Clarkston by Samuel D. Hunter, who, to my mind, is one of uh, the best American playwrights working right now. And I do not understand why he doesn't have a higher profile compared to some of his peers, or although he does have a MacArthur. So, you know, so, some people have seen some value. Right, right, um, right, right. Uh, But then, again, so some other playwright that I really am baffled by that choice. I won't get into that now. But anyway, so the way it works is that it's two 90-minute plays. They're done together, and there's a dinner break in, in, in between. And the audience, it's played to an audience of 51. Mm. It's very, very intimate at the Rattlestick, which is already small, but they kind of completely redid the theater inside. Um, and the, the plays are kind I mean, they're, each one is a standalone, but they work together really well. And they both take place in the Idaho towns of the title and they all have a connection to uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition mm. and they all and they both are about people who come into these towns meeting people who want to leave these towns mm. uh, it is absolutely wonderful it's directed by, by uh, Davis McCollum who also did um, The Harvest mm. uh, Hunter also did The Whale um, it is. He's one of the few right now who writes about people, people in dead end jobs in Idaho. All of these plays are set there. I would say, well, most of them. Um, there are people who just they're regular Americans who live in Idaho and are trying to figure out happiness and life and all those big issues. But he he approaches them with such a light touch. It's incredibly touching, affecting evening. I cannot recommend it enough. Would you call his? I'm sorry. I was asking if I was wondering if you would call his style a kind of hyper realism. Um, I don't know hyper, but yeah, it's a kind of American naturalism, I would say. But you know, the thing that bugs me about a lot of of young American playwrights is that there there's a lot of craft, and I, I I saw a few shows this week that really made me think of that. They were very well crafted and well written. There was no passion. There was no anger there was no grit in there mm. they're like really workshopped and processed to a, a ridiculous Interesting. level like, to the point that all the individually in disparities and the things make the little imperfections that make shows affecting to me at least are completely taken out and do you forget them the day after you've seen them mm. but you do not forget a, a, a samuel hunter play you really don't interesting yeah. I was going to add that Davis directed the last Samuel Hunter play we had in New York, Pocatello, did a beautiful job of it. And he is now the uh, artistic director of Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival. Oh. Really first-rate work That's great. up there. That's great. Uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of Davis, and uh, I hope I can get to see the show because I really like Hunter's work. You encourage me, Elizabeth. Oh, it's it's wonderful. Well, I'll close this out with a show that you know I th- we are required 
um, to take note of on Three on the Isle, in my opinion. Uh, it was, for me, uh, an amazing, an extraordinary evening. It's The Ferryman by Jez Butterworth. And talk about some of the things Elizabeth just mentioned, passion, fire, sort of intensity. This play delivers in a way that really makes you understand what you know what the what dramatic writing can do to an audience because you're sent out on this evening in a kind of flash of of disorientation over the the final 10 minutes of what happens on the stage uh, after 3 hours and 15 minutes which i will say uh 3 hours 15 minutes 22 characters three acts that goes by in a dream for me mm-hmm. um and not just because, you know, I mean, sorry, Terry, it is from London, uh, <laughs> uh, but I think it is a, it is kind of the benchmark, sets the benchmark for the season. And also but heralds for me the notion that we can bring theater to Broadway, real theater, um, in the way that Waverly Gallery represents that as well, mm-hmm. um, to, have, have you uh, liked to his, large audiences. Have you liked his, have you liked his previous plays? Uh, I didn't like the river. Well, nobody did. Uh, yeah, I didn't like <laughs> no, the river. I, right. I, I, I liked J- Jerusalem. I hated the, Jerusalem. I admired Jerusalem. No, I really I hated it. And I, well, and Mojo, uh, I remember being a kind of um, interesting, sort of tough guy, sort of you know, a Brit play of the nineties. But uh, this one feels to me another level up. I take mm-hmm. it for you, it wasn't. Well, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I mean, I'll be then, seeing it. Uh, I'll be seeing oh, but, it. I will have seen it and reviewed it by the time this podcast drops. Mm-hmm. I everybody is is expressing great enthusiasm about it, and I'm open. I'm hopeful. Oh, good. I mean, I like I like shows to be good. I don't like them to be bad. But I confess, because of my past experience with him, I'll be surprised if I like it. Well, you. you I like being surprised. You too. actually just gave me a really good opening there about not liking shows to be bad because. I saw a show last week that was so unspeakably bad that Whoa. do you remember earlier when we were talking about oh. classic turkeys like Moose Murders yeah. and Carrie? I think this is on that level. <laughs> it really is. It really is. What, what show it's is a it, show Elizabeth? So bad that I was yeah. laughing, not with it, but at it. Okay, what is the name of the and po- it is show? Mother of the Maid oh. at the public, which is laughable. It is such <laughs> a stinker. Um, it is. A, it is kitsch. My friends. Well, tell what you have to. You have to explain what it is. Mother of the maid. The maid is Joan of Arc, and the show is about a mother, Isabella Arc, not Isabella of Arc, <laughs> Isabella Arc. <laughs> Arc- so Isabella, originally Arkstein. Isabella Arkstein. and Joan are the clampets of France, and the it's this folksy. It's unspeakable. It is really actually pretty hilarious, and and you know what, Glenn Close, like bless her heart goes full throttle in these folksy matriarchs picking out like dung from the back of the sheep. Unfortunately, it's only referred to. We don't see it. I would have loved to see that. Um, it is... Uh, I, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I really laughed. I Elizabeth was like, am is I rendered really almost speechless. This? 
Oh my god! Uh, it, it's at the public theater, and I I didn't have quite as extreme a reaction to it as Elizabeth <laughs> did. I thought that it was an old fashioned star vehicle, the kind of thing that maybe you know Eve Gallienne would have done, which at I one tend to time. like actually. Uh, it's very it's it feels almost like a four, it could have been a '40s movie with you know mm-hmm. some f bombs added to for it to make it seem contemporary, you know. But it's really the sort of you know the the agony of of um, Joan of Arc's mother who's a devoted mom and it you know it presses every theater button you know is coming including the requisite breakdown scene uh and and of course glenn close who you know is a who can turn dross into gold uh on screen yes. and on stage um she did it with sunset boulevard and she does it here uh she's she's worth watching just to see glenn close up close to, the rest of the play you can file in the Oive um, to, uh, cabinet. Two plays, by the way, uh, that one an apologia, uh, ending with anguished mothers wailing. Oh, there you go. Uh, Trend story. It's, you know, if, if listeners can tell me a third one that end with an anguished mother wailing, um, I, I don't, it's interesting. Terry, though. I think, saw an earlier version of it. I, I did. I haven't gotten to this one yet. That's, I think, uh, two days from now for me. But I did see a, a much earlier version of the play last summer at Shakespeare and Company up in Lenox. Uh, and I thought, with a non-star cast, uh, but a damned good cast, and in a very small house. And I, I thought, you know, this play needs a lot of work, but there is a play in here. And so I'm very curious to see what has happened to it in the ensuing years. You know that Saint like Cha- you know Catherine was a character in the in the original production. If I'm not correct, yes, yeah, she's gone. You are correct. She's gone. She's just, <laughs> she's just a, she's just a light in the window. That was the big suggestion in my review was that that well, character didn't work well, at all. So I, she's you, completely you, gone. Cl- yeah, clearly, you know that that actress is cursing the day you were born. But that's another story. Just no, kidding. Just kidding. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. But um, and I'm so glad we've had this time together. But uh, <laughs> it, it's looking like we've come to that time when we have to say so long. Uh, this has really been lively and fun. Adieu to year least. and year and year. Oh no, that was Carol Burnett. He was doing. Oh my god, that was Carol oh, Burnett. Sorry, I'm that getting my, my classics yes. mixed up. Yes, but we, well, we it is forgivable for a woman of your extraction. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. You should. You I'm should. starting the French anyway, caravan. So, I'm Terry Teachout, and you've been listening to Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America, hosted by American Theater Magazine. I'm Peter Marks. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. Our producer is Kirby Pate. You can follow us on Twitter at Three on the Isle, and write to us at threeontheisle at gmail.com, and both of them are spelled out. And don't forget, if you want to leave us a question, just call 860-850-0473 and leave a message. Please let us know what other topics you'd like to hear on future episodes. And don't forget to leave a review or rating on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks for listening. We'll be with you again soon on the aisle.